0: What is going on everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, we have Chris No. Chris No is the founder of The Leverage. And on today's episode, we talk about streetwear and how he got into the business. He attended his first trade show and sold over $50,000 of merchandise within that first weekend and absolutely crushed it this has led into a more than 15 year career in the clothing business and i learned so much throughout this story we talked about the last dance which is the michael jordan documentary going on and how michael jordan inspired him at such an early age So that being said, make sure you check out The Leverage. Follow Chris No on Instagram. His link will be down below in the show notes of this episode. And that being said, make sure you subscribe to the Rise of the Young podcast and enjoy the show. Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young Podcast. On today's episode, we have Chris No from The Leverage. Thanks so much for coming on, brother.
1: Uh, thank you for having me, Casey.
0: Of course. I mean, we, we've been connected for quite some time now through D and all those guys. And um, it's been super cool to see everything you have built. And I'm excited to go over it today, man. But for those that may not know what The Leverage is, I'd love for you to give the people some insight into what you've built.
1: Okay. I mean, um, the easiest way to describe the leverage is we're pretty much like a fashion house. So we're vertical. We're a vertical fashion house that we own our own distribution. So I have a sales team that does all of like the wholesale logistics, the wholesale sales. Um, I have reps in uh, in five territories, and we work with like over 700 retailers worldwide. Wow. But along with that, we actually also own all the brands that we represent um and we have our own logistics company that does all of our uh, shipping uh shipping picking pulling everything there we have designers in-house a marketing team in-house and also uh we have our own factories we work with directly overseas in china um and various other places too uh but yeah pretty much like we do everything from a to z so you know um we manufacture the goods we sell it we distribute it we do everything got it
0: that's sick man how has um Cause I know you've been in the game for some time now, over 15 years, where did, when did the leverage start and how did it start? Cause I'm sure you guys have added multiple, you know, different verticals into the business as it's evolved, but where did it start?
1: So, I mean, the leverage started in 2012. I mean, me, uh, me, myself, I've been a sales rep uh, in the industry for 15 plus years. Um, I met my, I met my business partner, Lee, back in, uh, I want to say, oh, nine, oh, 10. And then he was a sales rep for a brand we worked at. And from there, we, you know, we got together and we're like, hey, we have all these relationships um we need to capitalize on it by you know selling more than just one brand and in 2012 we're just like hey it's time for us to kind of go and we were like okay cool let's just get a bunch of brands together um and just offer it to all the guys that we we work with and so you know the rest is history
0: when you say working with brands um can you give us some insight into what that looks like so you guys have you know all these different brands that you guys own Mm -hmm. under the leverage um do you guys focus on you know the the retailers or distribution or where does your time get divvied up with, you know, how you guys have been able to build this entire, um, just brand
1: umbrella. Yeah, I mean, Yeah, I mean, it all changed. It all changed as we kind of grew the business. I mean, when we first started the business, we were just a sales agency. So, you know, we will work with brands directly and we would just take a piece of commission on top of whatever we sold, you know, so, you know, you had a collection, you had a brand, you gave it to me uh, and my team, we would sell it. Once you deliver, once you delivered goods, you'd give us a percentage of your sales cool. That was all it was. Got it. It, got, it got to the point where we were just like opening up all these doors and these relationships. And, you know, once they got in, they're like, okay, peace, you're out. You know, uh, we, we got the rest, you know? And for us, it was like, okay, we, we were chasing another brand at every single time, just trying to, keep on finding the next brand and then over and over there's no brand loyalty especially when you're an outside contractor And so me and my business partner looked at that and we're like hey you know what we need to do next is that we need to i hate using this word but pivot you know we need to pivot everyone and their aunt has been using the word pivot during this whole uh pandemic so it it's kind of funny but yeah so we um we were just like, Hey, let's start our first brand, you know, let's start a brand. And so if we have this brand, it's not going to go anywhere. We built it, you know, whatever we want to do, it's our brand. Yep. And so, um, you know, we focus a lot on denim and bottoms. That was our biggest, our biggest business. You know, I did price point denim and I was selling, uh, I was selling joggers at a time. And you know, when joggers were hot, yeah. everybody and their aunt was like, okay, let me get a pair of joggers. Yep. And so for us, I always felt as if there was one item that would never, ever go anywhere and that's denim. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what kind of denim it is. People are always going to wear denim jeans, whether it's skinny, loose, baggy, uh, distressed, biker, or whatever it is, people are always going to wear denim jeans. And so I wanted to concentrate on something that you can wear year round. So, you know, a category that you can wear year year round is denim. You know, I'm like, um, if you're focusing on stuff like, say, a jacket, you can only wear a jacket a few seasons in the year, you know. Um, and then not everybody in all regions are wearing jackets all year long. And so that's why we focused on bottoms and especially denim. Um, yeah. And so that's how it started. I mean, we had a, we had a concept and idea that we wanted to do. And the funny thing is it's right behind me right now. See that pair of jeans right there? Yeah. I was going to ask about them. <laughs> yeah. So that pair of jeans right there. Um, Embellished jeans, which is, you know, which is the brand we started is um, came from a concept. We were just like, one of our retailers wanted to get biker de- biker denim jeans, and this is before the whole fast fashion happened. You know, obviously, ball main jeans were big at the time, yeah. but no one could afford a twelve hundred dollar pair of jeans.
0: Yep. And so, you know,
1: we we were able to sample a pair of jeans that looked very similar to it, um, but we got the price down to like one tenth of the price. Um, and they just ate it up. And then from there on, you know, uh, it was a win from there. I mean, we we started we started that. Um, we ended up you know starting uh, various other brands in our agency and how can you say the rest is kind of history. So that's how we built that.
0: That's so sick, man. Yep. What got you into just the fashion world? Like growing up, was it a passion of yours or what led you to, you know, getting into this whole industry?
1: So the um, I actually grew up in orange County, uh, orange County. Right. And so yeah. Santa Ana, you might want to call it like the birth of streetwear, because obviously one of the, one of the first streetwear brands there is, is Stussy and Stussy yeah. actually found it out in Santa Ana okay so that's where uh, Stussy is from and I kind of grew up in that area and so Stussy was big one of my biggest influences when I was younger um back then obviously the skate team was big with like Caballero, Pal Peralta, yep. uh, you're talking Quicksilver you know all that shit that was huge yeah and so from that on I was always into that as a younger kid and I got into basketball young at like second or third grade so you know yep. Jordan's influence to fashion and streetwear was big and yep. so that's that's pretty much how I got influenced into fashion at a very very young age and then just growing up as a basketball like I grew up playing basketball um, um in high school so that was like my whole spare time was, that's all I did is play basketball so you know basketball and fashion was big and so I collected sneakers so collecting sneakers is pretty much my gateway into the industry so as a young kid even when I was younger you know when I was like 15 16 years old you know bad kid being a bad kid you know you're always hustling stuff to you know <laughs> buy shoes and sell you know i'm not yeah. telling you how i got them i uh, got the money <laughs> but i'm not telling you how i got the shoes but that's i got the shoes somehow yeah so that was like my gateway in is just uh sneakers and, and being
0: have you been uh i know um just talking about michael jordan have you been watching the last dance recently oh yeah keeping up with it <laughs> I-, I-, yeah. I wanted to ask you like Oh, yeah. Watching it, because, like, for example, I'm, I'm 19, right? I didn't grow up in that era, so watching it, it's, like, super dope, and there's a lot of young people listening to this show. Like, yeah. you watching it as someone that grew up in that time and, like, you know, fell in love with streetwear as it was an emerging, you know, yeah. culture. Uh-huh. Watching the documentary, like, how have you responded to it as being such a, you know, icon in the streetwear world now?
1: You know, for me, it's kind of like watching it and getting goosebumps because this is your childhood, you know? Yeah. I posted a picture of like how crazy I am. Like I grew up, I love Jordan. I love Jordan. I love the Bulls. I actually named my first born Jordan. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so my daughter, so like my daughter, her name is Jordan spelled with a Y. I said that whoever my first, like whatever my first born is, boy or girl, we're going to name it Jordan. That's sick. <laughs> yeah. And re- and recently, even for me, um, I posted a throwback. Thursday picture on my Instagram, right? And there's a a picture of me wearing, I have two pictures, my sophomore year and my junior year, and I'm wearing a pair of Jordan 13s and a a pair of Pippin' Up Temples. So, you know, so like this era, this is like, this is me when I was like, I grew up with Jordan in 92, so I was like 11. So you're talking about me idolizing from 11 to yeah. 16, 17. That's when you're like – that's when you had heroes, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Totally. And so for me, watching this with all my friends we're just like, yo, this is the greatest thing ever. And because we have the pandemic and the whole quarantine, everyone's glued to it too. It's the only sport right. you're watching. That's what's up, man. Yeah.
0: That's so tight. Do you have like uh when it comes to, you know, being a sneaker collector, do you have like your favorite pair that – you know, you just
1: point to as like your most prized possession when it comes to sneakers? Uh, funny story is that, you know, like um, years back when I was 21 or 22 years old, I collected the, I collected the Nike Dunk. You know, the Dunk is very popular now, right? And so I was on like the Nike Talks and ISS like pretty early. And so when I was flipping sneakers, I collected the Dunk because it had the highest margin. Yep. So even at a young age, I knew about buy low, sell high. You know, so <laughs> totally. so why low so high? So I knew that you know you know I can get these shoes for 70 bucks. I could flip them for two 230 240. I'm making a three time profit. So even at that age, I was just buying as many pairs of shoes as I can. and you know, I was a little bit smarter back then. so for me, the dunk is my favorite shoe because it's it means a lot to me. It yeah. doesn't matter like which type of shoe, but it's just the dunk itself. Yep. and so like, yeah, a crazy story about that was was shit. I would just max out my credit card at that time, (laughs) max out my credit card for the whole month, buy as many pairs of shoes as I can, (laughs) keep keep one pair, keep one pair. And I know that, you know, I have no interest on a month, but I have to move everything within a month. So I sold everything, made my profit and then paid off my credit card and went on to the next. So that was like, that was like my early hustle me. That's what's up, man. Yeah.
0: I want to touch on just like launching brands. I mean, there's a lot of young people nowadays that, you know, they... They want to launch a clothing brand you hear it all the time and i want to hear from you you know after launching so many brands if you were to launch something new in 2020 what is your advice to someone launching a streetwear brand with it being such a you know saturated space
1: man it's it's funny i always tell myself i'm telling myself the same thing right now just having this whole, this whole issue with the whole world and everything right now, (laughs) would I launch a brand this year? I probably wouldn't, you know, I'm looking at this now, and I've never thought to myself before, you know, you got to launch something that's recession proof. Yep. No, that's recession proof where people are gonna like, cause now you think about it, like, like what's the only things that are recession proof right now? Medicine, food, uh, gas. So like, like even thinking about what would I would launch this year? Like my answer is that dude, I wouldn't try to launch a clothing brand in this space because in this space, yeah. it's difficult as shit because right now, the only way, and if you were to launch a clothing brand right now, the only way that you'd be successful in launching a clothing brand is you'd have to be really, really deep into DTC, direct-to-consumer, because right now, not a lot of a lot of people that do know me and my business, we know that we do a lot of wholesale, obviously with all the retails we work with, yep. but our issue is that we're kind of tied because none of the stores are open. Yeah, I was so, gonna say- just with
0: retailers i know that like obviously i remember like you know talking to d and drama about this how it's like so many retailers so you know the last five ten years it's been a huge uptake like a you know a rise in e-commerce and how it's overtaken the industry so with you being you know working with distributors now it's i mean retailers they're closed like how have you responded to that and what's been you know the biggest takeaway from from just this whole
1: um you know we have a yeah we have an online store as well um for all the brands that we that we ship and all the brands we own we ship here too yep. and for us, the online DTC has been like a bastard stepchild. You know, we don't kind of focus on it. We didn't, We weren't putting money into like Facebook ads, analytics, any of that. It's just yeah. pretty much like shoot content, throw it up, whoever orders it, cool. I would rather make my money off, of D, off the wholesale because, you know, it's bigger chunks at a time. Yep. Um, and so for the last like 60 days, uh, we haven't been open. We've been, you know, it was the first time I've actually look uh, i actually spent time going on youtube reading reading about what you know facebook ads mean and then actually working with my guy and i was like wow this is a lot of stuff that we were kind of put in the back burner yeah and and as as wild as it sounds our online store amongst all the brands it's been our busiest uh our busiest month since black friday wow you know so that's tight. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm thankful for that. Obviously I learned a lot. I learned a lot during the, this whole thing too. And, you know, we're able to kind of focus on something that we normally don't focus on.
0: Yeah. That, that's super cool. What's been your experience with like, you know, what makes a brand successful? You have many successful brands, especially in the streetwear space. What do you believe makes a brand
1: successful? Honestly, the the thing that makes the brand, I, the thing I feel that makes the brand successful is like two things, right? It's uh. Uh i would say it's i would say the biggest thing is product you know because at the end of the day if you have a good product that sells itself without telling a story which we do mm-hmm. then i'll tell you this right now i sell denim you know denim is my biggest thing yeah. on various brands if you took off all of our you know if you took all off all the the branding the looping and everything too and you put it side by side to some of the best denims uh, denims in the industry you couldn't tell which is which you know and our pricing is amazing and i just feel as if you if you have a good product it could sell itself but the thing is you also need like you also need a distribution which you need retail partners that you know that know that have places for you to fucking sell the product you know like for us all of our uh, product placement is organic the reason why is because we have so many uh retailers that are in so many places like you know, obviously Atlanta, NOLA, Chicago, New York, and these places where, you know, where athletes, celebrities shop, and it's organic. Yeah. They come in there, they see a product, they buy it, they wear it, and I'm, I'm like, oh, cool. It's, That's you know, it. a, a free placement. How did you build relationships with retailers early on? I mean, to be honest, to be honest with you, it's just to be persistent, you know, persistent. Um, when I first started, I was, I was, I was 22 years old and I just came from a telemarketing job. And so I took full advantage of just being on the phone, calling every single retailers every single day. You know, um, I tried my best to build a relationship with them, know exactly, you know, what they do, you know, talk mm-hmm. more than just clothing. Um, and I kind of knew, you know, for me, for me, um, my love for sports was one of the, the main things I always kind of used for my advantage. I know sports. Yeah. I know about every goddamn sport there is. <laughs> I'm a big sports guy, so I know that every buyer in every city is a sports guy. You know, yeah. so we always connected through that, and they'd always remember me through that. And so, you know, through the phone and the biggest play back then is trade shows. Yep. Trade shows are huge. Trade shows is the place where you can actually dap somebody up. You can say what's up. You know, guys that you've been chasing for a long time. You can kind of meet them, see them face to face. And honestly, I enjoy that. You know, I enjoy the face to face business because you could you could tell somebody's truthful by the way they look at you in the eye. Yeah. Um. And another thing too is visiting these stores. Like my sales team, we actually physically four to six times a year, go to the stores that we work with and show them product and have line showings and meetings with the stores. Wow. And even myself, me and my business partner, we visited, we traveled, we traveled, we went to like every single store that we work with, just speaking to them face to face. So yeah. that's the reason why, I mean, we've been doing it for 15 years. Yep. So they do have a face, they do have a face and a name. Totally. That's
0: super cool. Regarding like trade shows, you know, however, there's no more events happening right now. Do you believe this is something, especially, you know, in your industry, will be pushed back until you know late next year or how is that going to affect the industry when it comes to just the, the
1: trade shows and the in person events? I, I think the trade show industry is gonna get uh, it's gonna get hurt because you know the trade show industry is, it's gonna go down to people visiting the show. Yeah. And so traveling's going to be scarce. If traveling's going to be scarce, that means buyers aren't going to come. If buyers aren't going to come, then, you know, brands aren't going to pay to show themselves, you know? And so I kind of feel as if it's going to be, it's going to be a, it's going to be a trickle down effect, you know? So like, it's going to start from the top. So it depends on like when the travel restrictions are out, you know, when we can actually see each other with how, like what, like how far you can talk to somebody. So it's going to be very, uh, It's going to be very, 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 very different in the the near future. I can actually see the trade shows uh, skipping a season for sure. Mm. And that's going to be in August. Got it. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. Looking back, like, did you plan to get into this industry early on? Or what were some of your goals when you were, like, you know, 18, 19
1: years old, like, coming up in your career? You 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 know, the thing was, it's like, when you're 18, 19, not a lot of kids at that age know exactly what the hell they're going to do. You know, you just you know you you had no obligations at all. I mean, besides you might have a cell phone. You know, you might have to pay your like gas, but yeah. other than that, like what other what other obligations do you have? You know, and so me, um, I got kicked out of the house early. So like I moved out at the age of nineteen. Okay. So I was living in like a mobile home at the age of nineteen. You know, and I'm like, okay, I got to pay for my own school. I got to pay for my own place to live, yep. and so I just got to make it work. I got to figure out whatever money I can bring in because I'm on my own. You know. Yep. Um, and so for me, um, I always looked at it like, okay, how could I make the most money and not own a brand? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always felt that way. I was like, sales is the only one where you're not capped off with your salary. And so it's pretty much like, unless they cap you off on, uh, on your yeah. commission, it's endless. So I always knew that making, being in sales was going to be the best way for you to make any type of money. And it doesn't matter. If you're good at sales, you can sell any product. That's how I kind of felt. Yeah. So at like, I want to say at 19 years old, you know, I finally, I went to my first commission based job and I was as crazy as it sounds, I was selling women's shoes at Aldo. (laughs) No way. Okay. But, but hear this out. So Aldo at the time had about, I want to say they had about like five to 600 uh, stores worldwide. Okay. I was the number one sales rep in the whole world by by volume for the hour. Wow. At, at South Coast that. Plaza, at <laughs> South Coast Plaza, there was a, close to two, I want to say there was close to like over 2000 employees, sales reps, period. Yep. was 500 stores and yeah, I was number 1 and I knew, I knew that at that point I was like okay, sales is what I'm going to do. And so after the after sales from Aldo, um my first year I graduated uh, college, I took a job in the mortgage industry as, as a loan officer. Okay. right? And so as a loan officer, um, you know, they start you off by being a telemarketer, like a junior loan officer. So you're sitting there to, you know, picking up the phone, you're just dialing two, 300 calls a day. And then when you get somebody interested in a lead, you'd hand it over to the main, uh, main loan officer, yep, right? Yep. And he closes the deal, you'll get lucky, you might get like a, a shitty little, a shitty little stipend or a little commission yeah. off of him, whatever he makes, but the loan officer is making all the money. Yep. So, um, I had to do that. So I had to do that for two months and whoever sent over the most leads would eventually become a loan officer. So, you know, after two months I became a loan officer. And in my third month, I was the highest grossing loan officer in the whole company. Wow. And all, all at the age of 22 so, uh, wow. years. You're a sales beast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I took that knowledge and, you know, in 2000, I want to say, I want to say it was like 2006, 2007, uh, the industry just went to shit, you know? And so we got laid off and then, um, I went to the trade show because one of my buddies owned a clothing brand. Um, pretty much he said, Hey, come out, help me out, you know, um, help me out. Um, and just do this for me. You know, I have all the, I have all of the clothes here. This is the booth. You know, if anybody asks a question, cool, do what you can do. And so, yeah, my first trade show, I was actually sitting there, just helping out, answering questions, and a buyer comes up and he's like, yo, um, this is tight, you know? So I explained to him, I explained to him. Uh, we're talking, we start talking about, you know, our one love together, which is the Nike dunk. Yep. <laughs> you know, so I'm sitting there just spinning game with them on the Nike dunks, whatever. I see him outside and he's like, you know what, man? I want to place an order. I like you. I was like, all right, that's cool. Come back in. And he's like, yo, let me write a five, ten, ten, five, which is at the time, I'm like, what the fuck is a five, ten, ten, five? Right. Yeah. And he's all starting at small. And so my buddy Joe, who owned the brand, was like, yo, he means five smalls, ten mediums, ten larges, and five extra larges ah. across the board means every single style. And so my first order I've ever wrote was a fifteen thousand dollar order. And my buddy Joe's like, yo, I'm gonna pay you ten percent of this. And I was like, Word? And he was like, just sit here and do this for the rest of the fucking uh weekend and you're good to go. <laughs> That's tight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So, so that weekend I wrote about like $50,000 in orders, wow. you know, made made a nice little five stacks. Yeah. Um, and then I just, I didn't know exactly what to do after that. And he was like, listen, all the guys that you spoke to just, you know, grab their business cards, follow up. And so, you know, I had just got off of doing the, you know, telemarketing, this shit's easy. I took yeah. all the business <laughs> cards, threw it into an Excel spreadsheet. I had my fucking phone on. Uh, I had my uh, hands-free phone and I called every single person bugging them over and over and over. And I want to say the first season I booked about 150k in in orders, wow. and the previous year he only wrote 80,000 in in orders. Wow, you did in a season. Yeah, I did that in a season. Okay. And, and so that, that was it. I've been in the industry ever since.
0: That is so tight, man. So like I, it seems like just from that experience, you know, when you went to go start your own brand, you already had that oh, yeah. that side of the business dialed in
1: with retail I mean, and everything that happened there. I mean, it's a relationship business, you know, and I knew that I had all these relationships already. I'm a sales rep, you know what I'm saying? So they were buying whatever I was selling just based off the relationship. Um, And then I I thought about it with my partner. He's a sales rep as well. We're just like, hey, we started our own brand. We don't have to worry about them leaving. And instead of just taking 10% of the cut, we take the whole thing. And so we're just like, after our first brand, we started, we were like, okay, we're not representing anybody else unless we have equity in this brand or unless we have the majority of this. That is, how many brands do you guys have under your umbrella? It's
0: it's a it's a lot, right? It's a lot. It's yeah, it's
1: a lot. We own uh we own majority of a lot of brands. We also have licenses too. Um, you know we have embellish, crisp denim, House of Junior, which is a kids line, Lifted right. Anchors, uh, Carter Collection. Uh, we just launched Club Paradise. Uh, we licensed out in Noir. Um, and then I just locked in the deal with your buddies too from Diet Starts Monday oh Davin. yeah so we're oh no way yes that's what's up yeah so we're working with that too um you know and you know and we have a handful of other ones but you know the ink's not the ink's not uh dry yet so i'm not going to even announce that
0: yeah totally no that's so yeah i've known Davin and them um Funny, I met Davin at this place in, in DC actually with drama and stuff and that's what actually I, I got connected with you just through D and those guys talking yeah. streetwear and everything and that's so tight man so when you work with I'm curious I want the people listening to understand like you know when you do I've had Davin on the show from Diet Starts Monday like when you work with a brand like Diet Starts Monday you guys are overall just
1: helping them get more bigger orders is that correct? No, 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 no. Because um, myself, I handle the sales. I handle the sales side. My business partner handles the production and design side. And we have factories that we work with over there too. And so we're able to help with margins buying product overseas, the whole logistics. So like, let's just say like a record label. Like I always say the same thing on podcasts is we're pretty much like a record label. The artist is the designer. All he has to do is manufacture the sound which is the look, yep. um, we do the rest, we do the distribution, we do got the it. marketing, we do the manufacturing, making sure it's in the right stores, just like the venues that he does. And yep. so for us, you just got to do what you do design, aka like an artist sync. Yeah, we'll do the rest. So, it. And it so yeah, so click, click. So we, uh, so pretty much we do everything. I mean, we just pretty much do everything. And you just got to do whatever you got to do.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's super cool, man. If there's like, you know, someone listening that they're young, I know that you talked about on D's podcast where you always have people like, hey, if yeah. you have a, a brand, like hit me up. I want to, I want to check it out. Like how yeah. often are you guys looking at different brands
1: to, to, you know, to incubate, to bring on, or just quote unquote sign like a record label? All the time. Like I on, I, I honestly act like a, like an exec and I pay attention to yeah every brand come on like diet starts i saw i've been talking to Davin since he was doing premium like yeah, long, yeah you know and so i always told him the same thing you got a great product you just need to make sure that we can you know launch it to like a mass yep. And so like like even some of my other partners that we're working with right now too um like for instance uh who who am i talking about here like club club paradise Yep. Like Club Paradise is another one that we're doing a DTC and you know, the kid behind that is uh, Louie and Matt. So Louie, you know, he's a, he's an influencer that works with like uh stadium goods. And he was uh the one that did all like the influencer marketing for uh, geez. What was it for? StockX. Okay. Sick. You know what I'm saying? So I, yep. I look at it like, okay, do, what do these I have, I know what I can offer. What are some of the things that these guys could offer besides just designing? Do they yeah. have a platform? Do they, uh, can they do certain things, you know? And so we can do, you know, pretty much we look at it like what we can provide for them. What can they provide for us? That's sick. Yep. That's what's up,
0: man. How, um, how have you been spending your time on social media throughout this journey because I know obviously you you put out content on there and that's how we've been able to stay in touch yeah, but yeah. How, how are you you know looking at building a personal brand and just utilizing social with everything that you have going on
1: To be honest man I'm just trying to keep it light you know I'm just trying to yeah. keep it light I always say the same thing like during this whole thing I've seen so many people just complain yeah. argue um whine and bitch and moan you know at the end of the day we didn't do this you know like we weren't responsible for this you know the only thing we could do is just honestly sit back and just take it day by day because yeah. like I'm seeing you know even on other uh, platforms like your Facebook you know you got a friend that probably might be the dumbest person in high school but now he he knows everything about uh, he's a scientist now and he's a <laughs> politician now you know what I'm saying it's, it's funny yeah. as, but I'm like dude you barely graduated high school you know yeah, you, you were a uh, you were, you were probably one of the dumbest pre- people there. What are you talking about, you know? So yeah. I, I try not to get baited in to argue with anybody because it becomes like a whole bait, you know? Really? All, you know, I do the same thing. You know, obviously, at the end of the day, I have a family. I have kids. I have a wife. You know, I got guys that are looking at me for, like, inspiration. So the only thing I try to do is just keep it light, you know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not trying to bait anybody to be pissed off because right now it, it's a touchy subject. It totally. was like, at the end of the day, I know I'm blessed, you know, I know if I don't have to work, then I'm okay. But there's somebody out there that every single check, like every single day they don't work is like a check or a meal that they can't afford. Yeah, and like, yeah. you know, everyone's not in the same position. So I, I have no right to bitch about anybody or how they, uh, or how they run their life. Yeah. hundred percent, man. That's, that's, that's what's up.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I have two more questions, Chris. Just one of them being, you know, just, I want to ask you, it's different for everyone. Just what is your definition
1: of success? Oh, oh, that that changes a lot, you know. Honestly, yeah. that changes a lot, you know. That changes a lot. I I honestly feel my definition of success is being financially stable. That in a situation like this, yeah, if you're not working for so long, you're okay, you Definitely. know. All, all the material things, it's nice, you know, cars, whips, you know, cars, whips, uh, watches, um, you know, jewelry, all that, that's nice. But at the same time, all that could go away, you know. What I'm saying if you're not financially stable. Uh, and can take care of yourself, I don't think you're truly successful, you know, being successful is is defined differently. Like, like every single time for me, it's defined differently. Now, being, uh, being able to take care of yourself during situations like this, you're successful.
0: Love that. I want to talk about time to wrap it up. One of the, one of my favorite things that I've seen you post was this past Christmas, um, you posted about buying your entire team a Rolex, right? And talking about the value of time. I'd love for you to, to dive into that story and, you know, tell the people what the lesson was there. Because I know when you were posting about that last Christmas, I was watching and staying up to date. And it inspired me to really just like yes. look at it where I'm like, okay, when I have a team of, you know, 20, 50 people to instill a lesson like you did, it,
1: it taught me a lesson just from afar. So I'd love yes. you to touch
0: on that and tell the listeners why you did that and what uh-huh. the lesson was.
1: Yeah, honestly, for me, I could have easily been like, okay, these are my upper management guys, some of my employees that I've, that I've worked with for the longest time, all right? Um, and I kind of felt I could have definitely just given them like money, money, but what are they going to do with money? You know, obviously pay a bill, go on a trip or whatnot. And I kind of felt as if I wanted to give them something where, you know, every single time they looked at it, it was like, wow, you know, it meant something. And for me, obviously, buying a Rolex is a, is a huge like a huge trophy to yourself. You know, A lot, not a lot of people are going to uh, gonna buy a Rolex ever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I know that. Um, and to me, I look at these, like these guys could have been anywhere the last four or five years. You know, they could have worked at Ikea, Costco, a lawyer's office, uh, AAA, um, at an insurance agency, you know, but yeah. they actually spent their time working with me and helping me build this, you know, build this platform, this empire yeah. or whatever it is. And to be honest with you, to be honest with you, there's a lot of people that I gave that out to, and their jobs I can't do. You know, I can't do their jobs. I don't know, you know, what the freight forward bill looks like. I don't know how to pay certain credit cards. I can't log on to our backend system. I don't know which celebrity's address uh, that I'm supposed to send this out to. I don't know what size Lonzo Ball wears. You know, like, you know, there's these guys that did all that and helped build that. And I told them in in this letter, I was like, you know you know, every time you guys look at this watch, just know that I appreciate your time because you know, time is like time. You can't, re- you can't put a dollar on time. And so that's, that was the whole thing that I tied the whole watch, the Rolex and time too. Love that. Yeah. That's yeah. what's
0: up, man. Well, speaking of that, I want to be respectful, respectful of your time today, Chris, and just so say thank you so much for coming on. Last thing, just where is the best place for everyone to stay up to date with everything you have going on and where can they check out the leverage?
1: Oh, man. I mean, uh, you can go my personal IG page. It's Chris underscore the leverage, doc, uh, the leverage, T-H-E-L-E-V-E-R-A-G-E. Got it. Love it.
0: And last but not least, I just want to say thank you again, my man. It, it truly means the world. I know that we've been meaning to do this for quite some time now. And when right. the program clears up, well, I'll definitely have to swing by the office and check it out. Yeah, for sure, man. Thank you for having me, bud.